Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today is Bob Burnett. Welcome back, Bob. Thank you, Jim. Good afternoon. It's a great day here in South Florida and, and a, a great day in the Bitcoin world. That's exactly our topic today, not the, not the former, the, not the weather in Florida, because that'd be a pretty short conversation. It doesn't change that much, um, especially this time of year. But let's talk about Bitcoin. And I want to just tell a quick story before we get started, because um, in the fall of 2017, Bob came to me and Bob and I owned several businesses together. And he said, Jim, what do you know about cryptocurrency? And I said, you mean Bitcoin? And he said, well, there are a lot of other cryptocurrencies. And that began, that was the, that was the first sentence uh, in the first conversation of my cryptocurrency education. And now we have, is it three businesses in the crypto three, space, Bob? Three businesses, yes. And I, I want to say before we get started and before I ask the first question, um, we are not making a recommendation that you go out and invest in cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. We don't recommend investments. Uh, we teach people how to become financially independent through cash flowing assets and infinite banking concept. And, and, and really what we want to do today, just like anything else, is bring maybe to some of the audience that doesn't really understand the basics and kind of where everything is, where that space is for cryptocurrency right now. Meaning, should I buy? Should I not buy? Did I miss the boat? Where is it going? Is this just a flash in the pan? We're going to address all of those things. But Bob, I think the first thing that we need to do is um, let me just establish Bob's um, knowledge on this. Uh, first of all, Bob's been connected to technology for his whole career um, dating back to the 1930s. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> back to the early eighties. Okay. Uh, but no, uh, and Bob, uh, for the listeners who have listened to Bob or know Bob, he was the chief technical officer and executive vice president of Gateway Computers in beautiful South Dakota. And um, so he, he's been at the top of technology. And when we started getting into this space, Bob did research like I've never seen anybody do research. And he's continued for the last uh, three years of researching and running down all of the different information and talking to experts and some of the people that Bob's talked to and that have consulted Bob and vice versa are the really the giants in the crypto space. And so Bob is an expert. He teaches uh, uh, crypto classes online at Florida Gulf Coast University here in Southwest Florida. And so 
I would say, because I don't think, Bob, that you were going to say all those things that I was going to say, that I just said, <laughs> and, and is Bob is an expert on cryptocurrency. So I am not claiming to be an expert. So I will take the role of the uh, interviewer and you can be in the role of the expert. Sound good, Bob? <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words, first of all. Um, and I guess you call me whatever whatever you wish in terms of my knowledge level, but what I will um, admit to is being an evangelist and, and passionate about this at a level equal to almost anything in my life. We'll get into this in a little deeper uh, here in a second. Uh, Bitcoin specifically is not, it's not an investment. It's not something I think of like a stock. You know, it, it, it is a new monetary system. Um, it is a way of disassociating yourself from the current financial system. And, and I believe that ultimately it will be the bane of dictators and tyrants around the world and, and take away their greatest tool to uh, impoverish and uh, essentially imprison people um, through, through monetary systems. So um, I come from that basis. It's a lot more than just money. So, right. um, and, and we don't have time today to probably go into all that. We definitely don't. But I, I do want to share with them, with pretty much everybody here, that as I've delved down into this deeper, um, the, the ramifications of it and the importance of it go, go way behind, beyond, you know, uh, did you buy Bitcoin at 8,000 and sell it at 12 and make 50%, which is, I think, the way a lot of people look at it. I think the, the world will become aware of it at a much deeper level as, as time goes by. You know, and... Bob, this is very timely, and we're going to try to get this episode out and push it ahead of a couple of other episodes or a few other episodes, because I think that the momentum is getting faster and faster, and the velocity of adoption is getting to be incredible with Bitcoin. And again, I'm not the expert, but when I see Mass Mutual putting $100 million in when I see, was it, uh, it was just somebody today um, that put money in one of the big financial institutions. Guggen, well, I think you're probably referring to the Guggenheim funds. Uh, no, there was another even, one today that I saw, Bob, that just popped one? up. Yeah, just, um, yeah. and Guggenheim it, put 500 million in, right? Yep. And yeah. so, but what really, you know, as the year kind of comes to a close, I always say a champion goes back to the basics once a year. So let's start with the basics, Bob. And, you know, depending on the demand and the feedback that we get from the audience, we can do some more advanced crypto discussions as um, Bitcoin kind of expands. But, but let's talk, let's go back to the beginning or kind of to the very basics. Mm -hmm. What, you know, how did Bitcoin start? How did cryptocurrency start? What was their kind of the, the goal in the beginning? Yeah, uh, the, the cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin, which which is the granddaddy of them all and the first of them all, uh, came out of a white paper written on Halloween Day in 2008 by somebody named Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, to this day, nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto really is. It's a pseudonym. And 
the white paper, which was um, not terribly long. Um, the first couple pages are not super technical, and then it gets fairly technical. Um, basically state that, one, uh, we need to separate government from money, that governments have shown themselves to be either inept or corrupt or both whenever they have managed money, number one. Number two, um, we need to find a digital way to replace cash because we have lost the ability for, for two parties, two people or two companies um, to do business without going through a third party. And, and therefore we've lost privacy, right? So um, those are the two objectives. And, and the, the impetus for it was the crash and the bailouts of 2007, 2008. And, and that was kind of like straw that broke the camel's back. And it happened to coincide with some technological developments that allowed for the development of a mechanism for two parties to do transactions without middleman, typically called in economics or in banking, a trusted third party that, you know, Jim and Bob could, could send money digitally without anybody in the middle of that, that we don't need a third person to arbitrate that. Um, that was really the technological innovation. So, yeah, which it's funny, everything you just said, as far as governments, because we know that, especially our government, and we see what's happening with money with our government, and it's it's the same everywhere. So if you think that there's something unique to our central banking system, there really isn't. It's everybody, Correct. every developed country in the world has a central bank, I believe. And yeah. um, it's, it's, it is amazing. And I had a client on earlier today very successful uh, real estate developer and syndicator. And, um, you know, he was talking about fractional reserve banking and we were talking about infinite banking and he was saying, well, I want to do the fractional reserve bank. Yeah, me too. And, and by the way, Bob, if we could do that, there'd be a virtual line out our door to, for people to sign up to be their own banker. But um, so we understand yeah. the the need or the motivation for it kind of maybe, give a brief history of how we gotten to where we are today, which seems like on the cusp of mass um, adoption. Yeah. Well, um, we started with just a couple people. And, and I say this with all respect and affection, um, a couple geeks, some code, um, and transferring some Bitcoin back and forth from each other that had at the time really no real value, right? Just a couple people making this system work. And it was appreciated basically by only a, by only a slightly larger group of geeks. And as Jim, as you noted, I'm probably the chief technology officer at, at Gateway. And so um, I would consider myself a geek. So I was that, that I said, you were kind of the head geek at the at Gateway, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so you know, that's that's my tribe there, you know, and and uh, you know, so I say that with affection, and and that's kind of where it stood in the first couple of years. But then, what happened was some people, kind of on the fringes of um, economic theory, some people from a libertarian bent, 
started to kind of see that there was something there that these guys had actually created something that solved this banking problem of not needing a trusted third party. And then we had this money supply, which I didn't mention before, but one of the beauties of Bitcoin is the fact that it's based on code that can't be changed. And there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. And so these people who understood economics saw what was happening said, wait, what you have, you have built something that, that allows two parties to transact without a bank in the middle. And you've also created something that doesn't allow a government to at will change the money supply. And so I started to catch some momentum, but, you know, through 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, you started to see momentum building, but still on the very fringes of society, of fringes of technology circles and fringes of economic and political spheres. Um, and, and by 2014, 2015, though, it had gotten enough attention that um, some people, especially in what I would call the traditional mainstream financial world, actually started to say bad things about it. And that was when it actually caught my attention for the first time. The first time I saw a Jamie Dimon, who those of you who don't know, is the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, um, when he started to be critical of it, when Warren Buffett started to be critical of it, um, started to see politicians be critical of it, that actually raised my interest level. Like, well, why are they critical? Of it? What are they afraid of? Um, and, and I started to, to, to suddenly get a little more focus, a little more focus, a little more focus. And then, as, as you said, by 2017, it, it became crystal clear what was happening. And so, you know, I was part of maybe more of the third wave of people kind of coming in. Um, and, you know, I pay homage to the people of the first two waves for being that visionary. Um, but we went through a period and, and that early 2018 period, a bubble occurred. And, um, in that bubble, Bitcoin went from trading in December of 2017 from, I'm going off the top of my head, something like six or $7,000 to by January trading at 20000 And there was some mania, FOMO, fear of missing out. People who didn't really understand what it was, but who were just looking for a get-rich-quick scheme um, started investing. And of course, that ran out of steam quickly, right? And it, and it kind of fell back down. And cryptocurrency went into specifically Bitcoin, but pretty much the whole cryptocurrency market went into what most people would call a winter. You know? And we went through a long winter of a, several years, um, really until early this year, where um, prices, prices as measured in fiat, I'll talk about that in a second, stayed depressed. And um, the people who really weren't in it for the right reasons all left. And it, it kind of came back down to a core group of people, which Jim, Jim and I are part of that core group of people who stuck with it. And then something happened. Um, and, and I think we can, we can in large part thank COVID for it. But the Fed policies with quantitative easing, where they had been printing money and printing money and printing money. And by the way, they never really stopped much since 2007, 2008, it didn't get a lot of publicity, but they were still really in greatly increasing the money supply. COVID forced the money supply 
very high, right? You know, we've seen um, unprecedented increases in the money supply. Um, the M2 measurement, we, we did a podcast the other day, you know, it's, it's now somewhere around $4 trillion has been added to the money supply this year alone. Well, in the meantime, by the way, um, Bitcoin has run for 12 years. It's never been hacked. It's run perfectly the entire time period. Um, and, and other people, maybe what I would call the fourth wave, started to realize that there was something to it. And this fourth wave was very different from the first three waves, which was primarily individuals. The fourth wave, as you mentioned, now includes people like Mass Mutual. It includes Guggenheim funds. It includes Fidelity recommending to its high net worth customers, um, Bitcoin, Citibank doing the same thing. Um, and by the way, with massive price targets, Guggenheim, for instance, said Bitcoin just yesterday, Guggenheim came out and said, the chief investment officer of Guggenheim said, Bitcoin is undervalued at anything under $400,000. Um, um, as, as you and I know, Jim, companies like Mass Mutual don't dump $100 million into something frivolously. They, they're, they're doing it because they have confidence in it. Um, uh, there's a company called MicroStrategy, which had uh, $500 million in its corporate treasury this summer. And they said, you know, we see what the Fed is doing, and we know inflation is coming, and it's coming hard. So if we sit on $500 million in cash in U.S. dollars, we're screwed. We're going to lose, best case, 2% a year and maybe significantly more. Um, we can't justify doing that. Um, that would be fiscally irresponsible of us to do that. So what did they do? They moved all their corporate treasury to Bitcoin. And by the way, that $500 million that they moved this summer from dollars to Bitcoin is actually now worth a billion. So they, they wow. doubled the, the assets of the company in six months, less than six months. Uh, I, I want to say one other thing, and I, I'd love to get your comment on this, Jim, because I've been rambling here for a minute, but there's a there's a second way to look at this. And, and I think this will be a challenging thing for those of you listening. Maybe, maybe all this fourth wave is actually not buying Bitcoin. Maybe they are selling dollars. Right. You know, it's it's funny that we started our first company and we were mining and we were manufacturing miners. You know, we have quite a few people that are, that have become friends or that we've gotten to know that started there and they, and then they kind of fall into two camps. Like, and you said this a little bit earlier is there were the people that thought, well, oh my gosh, you know, the, the price went down. I'm out. So they bought kind of high and then they sold low, you know, that fear greed cycle. Right. And then there are the people that stuck with it. And those people are very happy. And we get these phone calls from these people that are friends that, Oh my gosh, this is, this is working out great. And then they see the stories in the, in the media and online about 
hey, here's where Bitcoin's going. And the predictions, you know, that's the highest one that I've heard, 400,000. But, you know, we had, I think it was not Citibank. I can't remember who, somebody yeah, came up. Citibank, Citibank said 331 by the, by next, the end of next year, right? I mean, right. and uh, <clears throat> all of these different things. And I still think though, Bob, people don't understand. Okay, so I can send you money. I don't need a bank. I mean, okay, so that's a mind shift, right? That's a mindset. Yeah. It's, a, it's a change in the way that we think. Because yeah. there are people out there right now listening to this goes, well, that doesn't make any sense. How could I send? Well, what am I sending you? How am I making sure that that's not hacked? How would I know that I got it? How, yep. you know, talk about some of those basic mechanics. And I think that I love that your, your little rant there about kind of what's happening, why it's happening. People won't, you know, really understand until they understand the very basics of it. So if you want to send me mo money, Talk about the way that you would do it with the dollar and then talk about the way that you would do it with Bitcoin and why it's secure and like, you know, maybe get into the numbers and the math behind all of that. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep it fairly high level because I don't want to go down too far in the rabbit hole. Yeah. But, but I think you're right. I think for people to have some level of security with this. So if, if, um, if you were to um, want to buy my bicycle, let's say, and you agreed on a price of $100, and you gave me that check, um, I would then present that check to my bank, which would then contact your bank, and they would say, hey, does, does Jim have $100? And your bank might say yes. Should say yes, right? Yep. Now, and let's just say you had $500 in your account. So your bank looks at it and says, yep, we've got 500. So um, they, they might be able to do that very quickly. So I might even get credit almost instantaneously in my checking account for the 100. However, if, if you had also written a check for $500 to the IRS um, and that happened to drift in a day later, there's a distinct chance that your bank is going to call my bank and say, hey, that check was no good. It bounced because we're going to prioritize this check written to the IRS in front of the one that Jim wrote to Bob. And so um, that that issue, by the way, is, is um, something called transaction finality. So when in our world does a transaction become final? The, the answer, by the way, is quite a long time, that it, it could be several weeks even later that something could theoretically happen that could reverse that $100 check that you gave me. So um, the belief is, though, that, that the system that really all modern society has been based on assumes that we need that trusted third party, um, my bank and your bank, in the middle arbitrating that whole thing. In the Bitcoin world, it would work differently. You, we would agree on a price. Let's just say it was one-tenth of a Bitcoin. So you would send me that Bitcoin. Um, and with it, you would include what's called a private key. Okay? Or you would include your key. Okay? And that key is kind of 
kind of like a password on steroids. And that transaction request would get presented to the Bitcoin mining community. And the mining community is this massive, again, I'm, I'm trying to conceptualize for people, this massive cloud of computing power that sits all over the world by independent people. It's not controlled by a government. It's not controlled in, by any one person. But they all get to look at that transaction. And what they'll do is they'll look at a ledger. And that ledger, which sits on all of those computers, would say the account that Jim initiated that from either has a tenth of a Bitcoin or it doesn't. Assuming that it does, then um, we are going to now check uh, and run a, a series of mathematical computations. The, the reality is that that key that you provided is a point on an elliptical curve, and we have to solve an algebraic equation, a complex algebraic equation, to see if it, it is a valid point on that curve. If it is, then the transaction is valid. If it's not, then it's then it goes through. And this this technique is is an offshoot of cryptography, um, the way coded messages used to be sent to people, still are sent to people. Um, so that's where the word cryptocurrency comes from, by the way, is from that aspect of of transaction. So as soon as those um, miners validate that the transaction is valid, it, by the way, is final. So um, all the ledger gets updated. Jim's account number has one less, one-tenth of a less Bitcoin than it had before, and Bob's has one-tenth more, and the whole world knows about it, and we move on. And there's no way to reverse it, by the way. So um, that transaction finality is another kind of nice little cherry on top part of the Bitcoin community and that knowing that things are really done. That's perfect. That's perfect. And, um, you know, if you think about it, here's another way to say it. It allows less regulation of money transactions, right? I mean, it's less regulated. It's more, Nelson always used to say, you have to get money down to the you and me level. Mm -hmm. That's what Bitcoin does. And, you know, I think about the blockchain and I think about the, all these things coming. And I believe, and I know you believe this as well, very soon, hopefully the next election, presidential election, we'll be using blockchain technology to vote instead of the system we have now that's a, the, the, the way yeah, I think it's, system, that's, yeah that's, systems yeah. even they're yeah, so disparate yeah. they're archaic they they're ridiculous. yeah yeah and, yeah. So, and we could have a whole show about that i'm sure we got lots of opinions on the voting uh and the uh for, for president and the election that just happened but this would solve a lot of issues there are so many things going on in the world that Cryptocurrency seems to solve, and the blockchain seems to solve uh, a lot of issues. And, and what would you recommend if people want to learn more? Because I think that there's going to be people that, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you got to see this a few times to really understand. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's a great point. You know, I think you have to go into it knowing it's not going to sink in right away. Because, frankly, what we're what we're professing here is that everything that you've been told about money 
and the way financial systems work and the may, way money works is wrong. Um, and so it's a pretty hard thing to disassociate. Even that comment I made to you before, which I said, you know, almost everybody would categorize the acquisition of new Bitcoin as buying Bitcoin. Right. But I I would challenge you to say that um, what really what you're doing is selling dollars. And, and yeah. I, I, bet, I bet nobody on this call, a very low percentage of people probably ever think about the fact that when they buy anything, in reality, what they're doing is selling dollars, right? right. I mean, and Nelson sure. actually talks about that a little bit. We can apply this back to infinite banking a little bit too. You know, that's really what you're always doing, you know? And so we, we've been given a certain optic uh, perspective of the world, but just take the opposite side of it and, and, you know, see how that feels and see how it adjusts. But as you said, there's a great book that I really love by a, a guy named um, Newt Zvonholm, S-V-A-N-H-O-L-M is the last name. It's called Bitcoin Independence Reimagined. He does an ex- it's a short read, about 100 pages. He does an excellent job of diving a little deeper into some of the things we talked about, about the roots of Bitcoin and, and its impact on freedom and, um, on, and those sort of things. Um, you know, in, I, I, have a, I have a YouTube channel there's a, but there's a, like, there's a, a really great guy for people getting started. His name's Andreas Antonopoulos. And he does some really good primer sort of videos about um, what Bitcoin is and how it works and, and its impact. And he, he'll go into blockchain and he'll go into some of the other cryptocurrencies too. So, so I think those would be two, two great awesome. starting places for people. Well, that's great. And, you know, Bob, it reminds me, and when you bring Nelson up and some of the conversations is we have to secede from the banking system and the monetary system to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the way that we do that is from the banking system is through infinite banking concept that Nelson created. And, uh, or he wouldn't say he created it. He would say that God divinely, um, uh, exposed it to him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bitcoin is something that regardless of what you think about it today, you better educate yourself because remember the quote, if, if what you thought to be true turned out not to be true, when do you want to know about it? So if, all these things are happening and you don't know about it, then you can't take action. And I'm not advising you to take action. I'm only advising you to educate yourself about this. And there's tons of resources. And like uh, Bob has a YouTube channel. What's the YouTube channel called, Bob? Uh, My name there is Boomer BTC. Boomer BTC. Okay. I'm going to start, uh, Introducing Bob as Boomer from now on, just to let the audience know. I'll tell you why. You know where that comes from is, you know, I as you know, I'm involved in the in the cryptocurrency community, and there's a perception inside the cryptocurrency community in general that the boomers, the boomer generation, is at fault for the financial mess of the world. There's a yeah. certain element of truth to it, and also that boomers don't get it. Right. That that boomers don't get it. So. 
my my name is kind of to say to the face of the rest of the world, which is typically people a lot younger than me, like, hey, no, <laughs> I'm yeah. here with you, man. And uh, uh, so so that's where that that name comes from. And Bob, um, it reminds me that you and I are in two totally different generations. That, <laughs> but it just so happens to be that uh, you're the last year uh, a boomer was born, 1964. Yeah. And right. I'm the first year of Gen X, so that's I, I, I'm only I'm only a year younger than you, but uh, and it, almost exactly a year. And uh, so, but I but I like to say I'm the younger generation. So um, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure they can tell. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. I've I've uh, yeah yeah. Uh, so so well, yeah. Uh, it, any famous last words, Bob? Well, for- I, I will. I will say. I want to say two things in closing. Um, the first, um, one other very important thing to do at Bitcoin is to step back from your position as somebody in a first world country in a first world economy, and look at yourself instead in somebody in a third world country in a third world economy and 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 then think about how important something like bitcoin is because as brutal and beat up as we are by by things like the fed imagine what it's like for somebody in one of these other countries and you will more easily see the power of what's happening through the eyes of that person than you will um, you know, somebody sitting in Naples, Florida, or Birmingham, Alabama, or where the heck you are listening to this. So that's number one. And number two, I'm going to, I'm going to just rephrase something that you said. Um, instead of quoting the Bible, I'm going to quote the rock band Rush. <laughs> There's a song called okay. Free Will by the rock band Rush. And it says, the line is, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Know that right now, Financially, the world is making decisions. Um, Mass Mutual is in, Guggenheim is in, Fidelity is in, uh, MicroStrategy is in, PayPal is in, you know. And so if, if, if you're not in, it's okay, you know. But do that from an educated position and know that others with a lot of power are making their choice right now. And uh, by the way, there are people like Peter Schiff and Warren Buffett that are out. So if you decide to be out, you know, God bless you. I wish you well, and you're not alone. But pick a side, because they are being drawn. And and um, financially, personally, I don't think a more you will make a more important decision this decade than which side of that line you're on. That's a great place to to uh, wrap it up, and I think that's a great message at the end. Again, just to reiterate, we are not trying to sell Bitcoin, or just because we are in a business that. Um, does some stuff with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I'm not recommending it. I'm not telling you to go buy it. What what I am telling you to do, like I said earlier, and we tell people to do this with Create Tailwind every day, and we help you with Create Tailwind and becoming your own banker, is educate yourself and find a coach. And it could be through the book that Bob recommended and the websites and the YouTube channels. And just educate yourself. And then like Bob said, make a decision, but one way or the other, don't stay in the herd. I'm your host, Jim Oliver. Thank you for my guest, Bob Burnett. Until next time, break away from the herd. 
Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.